for a couple of old pals get together and talk about a couple of old games. The voice you're hearing just now is myself, Mick Clockerty. Joining me as always, we have Andy Mack. Karichiwa. And Mick McCormick. How's it going? Right, lads, what he's been up to? How's it been going? Been a wee while since we've done one of these. What he's been up to <laughs> in the intervening period? Ah, well, Mick got a dog. <laughs> Aye, so that's been, my, that's been my life for a few days, looking after a wee, a wee dog, wee Rusty, the camera too. Um, so yeah, it's been, been pretty cool. What breed is it? A camel poo? <laughs> half King Charles Spaniel and half Poodle. It's got uh, which is the ridiculous um, portmanteau Cavapoo. Ah, um, nice man. Nice. Just means it's very fluffy and very uh, intelligent. Very and, cute. Aye, incredible. So part cybernetic as well. He told, he told me he put a Tamagotchi up its arse. Aye. <laughs> aye already. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's not it's not far off. I mean, playing with kind of Tamagotchis and like life sim computer games has taught us quite well how to train them. Digimon actually, that was quite a training experience for having a real dog. So much like um, when we did the Digimon, it was all the real dog shites about forty times per hour. This dog, after having him for three days, is actually better toilet trained than any of my Digimon <laughs> in that whole career. Uh, of, of praising those things and I've not even made them fight anything aye so you who's walking at you you got to go every morning that fucking back breaking it's too wee it's thing. too wee to go for a walk because it's not as jags yet it's not like go uh, out on the grass in case it gets corona or something horrible that and <laughs> what dogs can get corona it was a thing for dogs where it was for humans but that's that's, um, that's, that's crazy that's man that's virus chat you can just take it outside as long as it doesn't touch the ground so I'll be walking it Ah, good, new dog, brilliant uh, I got a fucking uh, Pseudo-Saturn For my Sega Saturn Now I can play all my copied games Without pain and earn the leg And I fucking whatever else um, <laughs> For instance, I was playing Panzer Dragoon Saga I've just started it, I'm on disc one What a game that is, man uh, 22 years I've been choking to play that game And I've finally been able to play it Brilliant. I'm pretty interested to have a bash at it. It seems pretty. For pretty the sounds unique. of things, it's, it's holding up to a lot of your. Because, um, I mean, you you must have built this thing up in your head to a, a fucking ridiculous degree. Much like Knuckles Chaotix. <laughs> well, aye. But unlike <laughs> Knuckles Chaotix, it sounds as if this one's actually fucking passing a test. Aye. This is a classic, aye. Yeah, you can tell within 10 minutes, it's a classic. It's a bit like. Um, right. Alright, it's a GRPG, but it's very far removed from a Square RPG. Square RPG kind of makes you feel like you're part of a team in a fully populated world. This makes you kind of feel like you're on your own, kind of isolated in a way. Ah, you meet people on the way, but it just seems to be like you and your dragon in this weird world around you. The world seems to be more a character than anything else. And I also get Shadow of the Colossus vibes off it. The art style of the baddies. Oh. Even the sub-bosses are massive, huge and innovative looking, like big horrible looking beasts. <laughs> Shadow of the Colossus is quite kind of melancholy as well, which I think that seems seems like it. See, when you, you think about Shadow of the Colossus, for, I know you've got that fucking tight gameplay with the grip and the buttons to hold on to the big fuckers and the kind of visuals and that fucking great sweeping land before you, but when I think of it, the first thing that pops into my head is always the fucking music, man. That big mm. sweeping orchestra, oh, do you know what I mean? Oh, I can't. When, you, when you actually get on top of it and you kind of turn the tide of the battle and that, that tune comes on, it always kind of sticks with me. Aye, aye. Um, another thing that kind of jumped out to me um, about 
Panzer Dragoon Saga is uh, it's uh, I, I, when I think in a GRPG I think I like your your formulaic kind of square RPG where you go to a town and then you go to a dungeon and then your battle system changes like every game it progresses and don't get me wrong I love that man I, I, I think his stories are some of the best things in gaming um, battle systems and stuff this game uh, sort of changes that up a wee bit I think it came out just about the same time as Final Fantasy 7 but it's got full it's got full voice acting and it's merely a sort of it's it's merely a sort of like streamlined maybe a linear adventure than a, a square game like tunes don't really exist the only tunes I've been to so far are all kind of um, deserted and already been smashed up by the monsters. <laughs> and uh, the guy, you've got to give a guy a backy to his tune, and his tune's just been totaled. So there's not really many humans populating the place, which is quite interesting. It seems to be quite something anyway. I'm, I'm just sort of scratching the surface yet, so I'll probably keep his updated uh, over the next couple of weeks. I remember playing that game, uh, Shin Megami Tensei Nocturne or Three. Persona games were kind of sp- spun out of those those games, kind of spin off of them. Um, but in that one, it's kind of set like after the the world's ended in some sort of way, and like there's, it's kind of like this is the there's no tunes, like you know, it's all just dungeons pretty much, and even the places where you go and buy supplies and that, you can still get attacked by monsters, and that really kind of like <laughs> kind of stressed me out and maybe upset me a wee bit because it was like you're not you're not really getting any downtime. You're always, you know, in, in, in danger. So uh, it's definitely a unique, kind of, a unique choice. The voice acting as well is very Sega. It's it's to, it's all in Japanese, but it's got obviously English subtitles, and it's got a mad kind of Japanese Oriental techno vibe to it. It's pure <laughs> Sega. It's not. I love it, man. I honestly, I was sitting any time I've sat down and played it, man. Just going like that, fuck me, look at this. And it, oh, the boss battles are the big meaty fuckers. The, the boss battles can go on for like half an hour. <laughs> Pretty good, man. Do you get Lilac Wars vibes off the boss yes, battles? Yes, big right. time. Uh, because of the move, the movement is like, the movement's in real time. So, one of the, the, the big differences between this battle system and a normal GRPG one is the, the positioning. Aye, it does have elements of real time. For instance, uh, there's a a map um, down the bottom where you see your gauges and stuff and where you pick your through the menus um, and the gap sort of shows you where your dragon is in relation to the enemy um, and it works on a traffic light kind of system so green you're a safe position um, sort of clear transparent your possibility of getting a weaker move off them and red means you're going to get that big fucking body if you don't get out of the way so Usually you've got to position yourself within the red part in order to get their weak spot. So you've got to time it right. So there's elements of fucking Violet Wars in there, for sure, aye. It's really good. That's very cool. Um, so what is it like with this game? Because this game's like, if you wanted to buy an actual physical copy of this, you're paying like a couple of hundred quid. It's like incre- one of the rarest, I think, you know, games aye. on the console. It's quite, it's quite, it's more well known for its rarity than it's like um, uh, the actual gameplay because I think fairly few people have actually like, played it like what is it that makes it such a kind of sought-after thing? Aye, it is. It's, um, it's a game that always pops up when talking about like, oh, rarities and stuff. Uh, but Saturn's got quite a few of them. But the difference between this one and other rare games are... Some games are rare um, for all the wrong reasons. Some games are rare, <laughs> like a Nintendo World Championship fucking console and that, like, worth tens of thousands of pounds. They're only famous because like, they were pop culture kind of status pieces at one point uh, whereas this game is a uh, it's a one of 
apparently, I'm just going with it, and it is, I mean, that's a bit misguiding itself, but apparently it's one of the best RPGs ever made. Sega's put their heart and soul into this at a time when Saturn was kind of dying and they didn't know what was going to happen next. So if you're looking at a kind of standout title for the Sega Saturn, you know, Panzer Dragoon Saga is always going to be in people's top three just because of how in-depth it is and, and how like, critically acclaimed it is. Maybe not at the time, but since looking back now. And just the fact that it pushes the console with its limits as well, man. I mean, so, Some games are rare because they're, they're good. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're not always just anomalies. Sometimes it's as aye. simple as a game's a cracker, but not that many copies were produced in no part of the world. Do you know what aye, I mean? Anybody wasn't appreciated at the aye. time. And also, it's got a bit of a... Aye, Sega seem to lost the source code for a lot of their old games. Like, um, that was Chaotix, that was one. They lost the source code to that. So oh, that was, shame. That was, never, <laughs> that was never on, like, the the remasters for the, the PlayStation, like the one you had, Corte. Um Just the same as this, Panzer Dragoon. You'll, you'll maybe get Panzer Dragoon 1 and 2 uh, packs on, like... PS4 and all that, but you'll never get Panzer Dragoon Saga because the source code has been lost. Well, here's a prediction for you. Sega Series X, right? It's fucking happening. I believe it. It is going to come out. And on that fucking thing, you are going to have a ground-up remake of Panzer Dragoon Saga. Because that, in Japan, is a fucking license to print money. Possibly, aye. Or else you could, I suppose you could reverse-engineer it. But even front-engineering a Saturn's fucking hard enough without reverse-engineering, so it would need to be a brand new uh, remake. Aye. And a lot, a lot of retro heads out there, man, that's, I don't know, do they like remakes, do they know? I mean, there's some better than others, isn't there? Like Final Fantasy R7, that's maybe quite decent, isn't it? The new one. Compared um, to, it's, a, it's a mixed bag, some people like it, some people don't. Well, there's been a few original ideas, so I think if Sega are wanting to make a kind of big new RPG franchise, then it's maybe a, maybe one to try. Oh aye, I know you can revamp, well I suppose Francis stars an online thing now innit, but um, Panzer Dragoon is probably their, that's probably their IP if they want to re- revamp it, it's, it's definitely got potential. I've been playing a, a fucking series of mobile games called uh, Sim- Simulacra, don't know if you've right. heard of them. Don't think Simulacra, so. nah. They're a wee bit like, there's a, there's a Steam game called Orwell, where you're a fucking... You're a fucking secret police. It's like spying on people's social media accounts. It's kind of the same vibe as that, apart from it's supposed to be that you found this lassie's phone and she's gone missing and you're trying to track her down by fucking going through her texts and fucking her Twitter account and looking through her photos and stuff like that to try and piece together what's happened. Sounds good. It's a visual novel, but a wee bit more kind of interactive. And the gimmick is that you do it on your phone and it's supposed to be like you are... That you know, you actually have the lassie's phone in your hand. They're going through it all. Oh, uh, right, aye. It's it's, it's, it's decent. It's quite immersive. Um, so a recommendation for me if you can. I don't, in fact, I don't know how much you fucking hang costs on the app store. I wouldn't pay more than maybe like four quid for it or something. But uh, you got a couple of those enjoyment out of it. Do you like the visual novels? Like snatch on that. I like a visual novel. I've pitched us today an episode. There was a the last game that ever came out on the Famicom or the NES. Uh, in Japan was this thing called Metal Slayer Glory um, and it was by HAL Laboratories and it was just this fucking big giant fuck off visual novel with all these kind of anime style cutscenes like, it looks amazing apparently but a fan translation came out for it in 2018 so it has been available to play in English for two years um, cool, man. I think that's something we should take a look at uh, eventually reviving the, the literature club for that one I think well, Ace Attorney for the 
for them, but the handheld. Ah, see, no, you're talking. I, I would, I would put Ace Attorney in the, in the kind of visual novel category, and then Snatcher for the C- C- Sega CD and stuff. Yeah, those, those. Um, I think it was a genre that never really found its foot outside of Japan. Really, these they had a lot of these kind of detective games on the Famicom, where you would uh, go and interview different people and go around these different locations, and then you would have to try and put your deductions together the game would tell you if you got it right or not. Ace Attorney, I think, is one of a few ones like that that, uh, to my mind, has been successful out here. Aye. Aye, it's, I've, I've seen it. I've, I've never actually played it, so I would quite like that if I'm going to do a... You get, you get them on everything these days as well. You can get it on your phone, on Steam. Um, yeah. But that's, a, that's maybe a good shout for a future episode as well, just for something to, to swap. The one thing I've been playing is uh, Night in the Woods, which I've been meaning to play for ages. Um, uh, I quite, quite enjoyed that one. Um, um, I've I've been putting off playing it. It's kind of it's mild and controversy a wee bit because there was uh, one of the folk that worked on it was a beast. But by the coder had a, a lot of allegations made against him. He, uh, the guy took his own life. Um, it's about a horrible kind of situation all around. Um, but conversely, the writer is probably one of the coolest guys on Twitter, um, and I feel like he's uh, he's getting more of a hand in it than the. Um, the programmer, but it's, it's it's good. It's kind of I don't really know what you'd um, I don't know what sort of genre you'd call it. You kind of move around that platform, but there's not a whole lot of interactivity. It's kind of a, an interactive story in a way with a few wee kind of small mini games in that. Um, but it's, it's a pretty good story. I like the I like the characters. I like the writing in it. The graphics are cool as well, aren't they? Aye, yeah. Those kind of, anthropomorphic um, wee characters and that. Aye, aye, it's pretty cool. Um, and yeah, it's got a good. Um, Politics as well, because it's you know it's set in a kind of post-industrial town, much like the one we're from, um, where there used to be a, a strong trade union presence that gave everyone a bit of Far purpose in life. And, um, <laughs> and now that's gone, and folks' lives are a bit directionless. So that's the kind of background uh-huh. there. And there's maybe a plot coming into it just now, but the first half of it is just to him kind of getting to know characters that live in this shitey place, which resonated with me. Ah. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's sad though when the person that makes it the bad art turns out to be a beast. Like, did you see uh, Ren and Stimpy's meant to be coming out again? Oh, John K is fucking terrible, man. Aye, apparently they've been making new episodes for, for the telly, aye. A revamped uh, Ren and Stimpy. I always think, remember thinking that like, Ren and Stimpy was never a Wayne show, man, but it was always on like, kids' TV, wasn't it? Like Nickelodeon. But it was never a Wayne show. We know now it's definitely the product of a deranged mind the aim of that show was just to make you shudder <laughs> but kids kids like that man I, 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 I always fucking I, I was always mad for it if it was on I, was like, I quite oh, liked it yes, I, I need to see this like, uh, kids like uh, that kind of gross out stuff aye and uh, you like to feel as if you're getting away with something <laughs> but well speaking of a shitey place and speaking of I don't know being grossed out uh, the year was 1995. <laughs> Joel Schumacher had wrestled the reins of Batman oh, no. away from inferior director Tim Burton and teamed up with the greatest Batman of all time, Val Kilmer, in order to make the classic adventure movie Batman Forever. <laughs> the game, the, the, the movie rather, had a game produced for the Sega Mega Drive and for the Super Nintendo. Mr. McCormick, if you would please tell us why you have chosen Batman Forever for Andy to play. 
Can I just say, I, I get the feeling you're being sarcastic there, but also, like, if you have watched um, the sequel to this, uh, Batman and Robin, you probably would view Batman Forever as a classic. <laughs> <laughs> Aye, so I think I wanted to give this game a bit of a second chance, because I had it as a kid, and I've since realised that, actually, I think all three of you had the exact same experience I did growing up, some, <laughs> but we, we didn't realise that we, um, we, we shared this in common. Um, but it was... I remember having picking this game up, getting it in a blockbuster or um, global video or whatever the precursor was, and just not getting my head around it at all. I think I picked it up because I got one of those new fancy six-button controllers that you could use on uh, Comic Zone. Turbo. Um, and I it had the mad turbo, like the, the weird, that weird thing that you had with knock-off um, buttons. I, I've still got it, actually. Um, I did kind of knock off buttons that you could go into turbo mode and slow down mode it was just meant pressing A or start really fast off and on again <laughs> um, but I, I I kind of thought like I've, I've played Comic Zone, Comic Zone's brilliant um, this you know it uses the same pad and it's got complicated controls it might be it might be even better than Comic Zone it's based off Batman that I quite liked but I just couldn't make him the tail of it I couldn't figure out how to use the grappling hook um, <laughs> to get from one level to the next so I basically was stuck on the second screen. And as a kid, you don't think that's because this game's shite. You think it's because, well, maybe I just don't understand it. And that's what I thought up until, until this day. I thought, well, it'd be good to kind of revisit um, this game and maybe get a second chance. But I think it turns out that it probably didn't deserve it. <laughs> so yeah, Andy can maybe tell us a bit more. So this is a product of uh, Probe Software, um, which was a subsidiary, I claim. Um, this is the English division that made this game. And at the time, obviously, all their age was Mortal Kombat. Aye. Um, and the thing that made Mortal Kombat kind of stand out, apart from the gore, was, like, the the graphical kind of innovation. And like, digitised graphics where it's like you, you get real actors and you, you take photos of them doing whatever moves you want your character to do and then you transform those into sprites. Aye. So basically, it would be, like, a wee bit... Like sprite ripping, but from real life movement type of thing. Aye. So it would. So then when a, somebody did moves, it would look kind of human to a certain extent, rather than cartoony, sixteen bit kind of software generated movement. But um, Probe had done this obviously with Ed Boon and the other guy. Who's the other guy? Mortal Kombat. Tobias. Tobias. Uh, John Tobias. Tobias Cyborg. Heavily influenced by uh, these two's methods. Um, took it upon themselves to take the Batman IP and create this fucking masterpiece. Man, <laughs> this game's a fucking shiter, man. I mean, it's not very often I slate a game. I can always try and find the good in it. And to a certain extent, there always is. But this one is just, it's purely designed. Um, example, right? So, game starts and you think, oh, good, this is just a normal platformer. It's a run ML movie tie in platformer. But then you realise that you've got about three frames of animation. Um, and you realise that you're just you're playing a sort of a, a beat em up as well as a platformer. So you get the end of the second screen and you realise there's nowhere to go forward. So you walk back and forth to the first screen, back to the second screen, nowhere to go, you're fucking lost. Turns out you need to do a sort of kind of safe opening-esque fucking venture to fling your, <laughs> your, back, like, your back thing to climb. Um, and it, it was all it was all downhill for there. So I guess what it's trying to do is is, is try to combine 
um, the, the sort of combos and the deep fighting system of a fighting game like a Mortal Kombat or a Street Fighter, but also um, more kind of platforming elements and elements that you like um, exploring a level and moving around. But what what that led to is the thing, the fucking grappling hook that managed to get all of us is that you, all that your kind hook. of Batman gadgets, they're not mapped to like a single button. You have to do like a combo, sort of Street Fighter style combo to use them. And it's not obvious in the slightest. It's in it's in the manual um, to, to tells you how to how to do it. But yeah, these these combos are not easy to pull off, and you need to use them a lot <laughs> to get about the levels. Whatever way that I came across this cartridge when I was a wee guy, I don't know if I got it in a forum or if I bought it at a fucking fete or something like that. I just had the cartridge. No box, no fucking instruction manual. It's one of the creepy pastas. I've got it now. You gave me it. I, I know you've got it now, but it's just a cartridge still. I'm, my exact experience with the game was walking through the first floor, the first level, beating all the baddies, and then just that, that is where the game ended. Because <laughs> I, as a fucking seven-year-old or whatever, trying to press all these different inputs, um, I, I never landed on the right one, which was that you have to hold in B and C, and press up at the same time in order oh. to fucking grab on hook. It must, seem, it must seem really obvious now. Ah, uh, of course, B and C. <laughs> <laughs> it's that unnecessary. <laughs> to do something as simple as that. I mean, if you look at um, I claim probes games at a time, uh, Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat 2, Mortal Kombat 3, so it was all about Mortal Kombat back then for probe entertainment, and I think that what they're maybe just trying to do is Oh, we've got us fighting game mechanic, so why don't we just rip out the fighting game mechanic and try and plaster it onto a platform game? I think, I think for a wee while, it probably looked to some people like, well, this is the future of, of these kind of movie tie-in games, isn't it? We'll just digitise the actors and then it's like you're playing the film. Aye, that weird Street Fighter game, Street Fighter the movie game. I, I, I did get away that it's kind of kind of right for a fighting game as I you were talking earlier on and you said it lacked a pause button usually if it lacks a pause button and has an action it's a fighting game the the start button is your block button in this you know because all, all the controls are dead intuitive you know, <laughs> platformers usually need a block button don't they I um, I mean this with Mortal Kombat like there's if you're just a beginner player in Mortal Kombat you don't need to know any combos like you can kind of just bash the buttons and um, jump around a bit and you might not win very many fights but you'll, you'll enjoy yourself whereas in this as you say you have a complete brick wall if you don't know the complicated, <laughs> some complicated you, combos you, you literally will hit a brick wall and you'll not be able to get by it <laughs> like, there's so many like, there's bad level design in this I don't know if it was a bunch of like, maybe fighting game designers that had said let's create a platform game and never had a clue how to fucking do it because some of it is like, so un- unintuitive that the only intuition that it has would be in the cunt's head that was making the level because there's a bit where you're in total darkness, right? An absolute void, and you've got to look for a hole in the ground. A hole in the ground. <laughs> a hole in the ground might as well be because well it's black as well. It's like, literally it's like black pixels. Like, there's, no, there's, there's no way to navigate around it other than just like going, going around this level and blindly kind of stumbling about and um, you try to use the, again, another fucking complicated. Getting button combo to get to the screen below you. <laughs> I know. I don't know why the video game took the creative decision to have pretty much every level you play has your light switched off. 
Fucking very <laughs> dim, very fucking gritty. Whereas you watch a film, everything's quite kind of bright and cartoony. It's fucking bright green. And I, I don't know why they didn't make the colours pop a wee bit more for the game, I think. It maybe suffered for that kind of... They were trying to make it look, not like a game for babies. Do you know what I mean? This is quite aye, a grown-up game. Aye. Aye. Which, if you don't know what you're doing, just translates into like not very much colour and not very much distinction between everything. <laughs> yeah. And those kind of digitised sprites don't really help as well because I think if you're if you're doing like pixel art, every pixel matters sort of thing. Like you know, every pixel is going to you've got like yeah. a limited um, space to like you're going to make sure the faces have all got good definition and it's got good shading and all that stuff. Whereas if you're just taking a photo of somebody and translating it into a, a picture, it can get a bit muddy um, so between Aye. that and the kind of rubbish colour palette it's pretty hard Aye. to distinguish what, what's going on collision detection can become a bit of an issue too like sometimes if the sprites are true then sort of as you said every pixel counts but if you've got this kind of digitised thing then sometimes like, the natural movement of an urn might not correlate properly into what it should <laughs> into be what's kind of happening underneath plus another thing is if you're doing that that digitisation thing that means you can only have a handful of baddies and repeat them over and over again but and us it's the same fucking five or six baddies I only played three levels of it man I could take it anywhere but for what I played man it was a yellow shite fake joker a pure rip off a, a circus performer like a trapeziest is that a trapezium trapeziest whatever Um <laughs> uh, <laughs> Random baldy guy A, random baldy guy B, bondage assassin. They're, they're meant to be convicts or something, aren't they? They've got like chains on or something. Aye, uh, the first level is set in the uh, Arkham Asylum, which is you know where uh, Batman sends all the all the baddies to. Yeah, that's rough. Aye, I suppose that's a whole other story. Whereas Batman's doing the job that a well-funded mental health system should be doing. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the, the thing that I thought was quite funny, and I don't know if it was intentional, was that the first two. As members of the asylum that you meet and fight are called Mad Ned and Mad Jake. Aye. <laughs> um, aye, they've got names, wee names that pop up, like um, like Anglophile. names, streets of rage. <laughs> For some reason, yeah, it's, it's a catalogue of different um, mental illnesses um, in the first, the first level, like they're called, like, you know, arsonists and stuff like that, but one of them is called Anglophile, which suggests aye. that, you know, that's a bit of a mental illness in itself. I think I can be an Anglophile, and we can all agree, is a mental illness, and you should be locked in an institution oh, definitely. for being one. <laughs> definitely. Uh, aye, I totally agree with that. But, um, aye, very, very stock, very basic. You know, it, it's got the Batman license, but it doesn't do much with it, man. Most of it is just a bunch of guys that have, it looks like it's just a bunch of guys that have went, right, we've got Batman here. Right, let's give him some bat fucking things and then we'll just create a kind of bog standard game based on a fighting game physics. Right, kinda, the whole time I was playing it, it reminded me very much enough, and, and I'd be interested to see if it's the same developers that went on to make us. But um, I don't know if you remember the Sub Zero platformer, uh, Sub Zero Mythologies, Sub Zero. Aye. I've heard of it. That's that's another game that doesn't get a very good, uh, I, I, very good reputation. I, I, and I suppose it's, it's maybe the same kind of thing. Same thing. Trying to combine fighting and gaming platform, uh, but it kind of overcomplicates things. It, 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 it didn't work. Uh, it didn't work because of the collision detection and stuff. It was like it's hard to replicate certain aspects of platform and way sprites that are built for, but sprites that have a sort sort of logic behind them that are built for a fighting game. Um, when you're doing things like jumping and, and landing and like having to like, judge like projectiles and stuff, it doesn't yeah. really work as the same in a fighting game as it does a, a platforming game. I think with this, the biggest sin that it commits for me is that like, it seems like they didn't really try. 
Like, <laughs> okay, well, sometimes when there's a couple of ideas in there and you go, all right, I can see what they were trying to do, but the limitations of the time or whatever. This has got a couple of things, I mean, and I mean one or two things, where you're like, right, okay, this is maybe something quite interesting. Like, uh, before the level starts, you get to pick, You've got a finite amount of like sub weapons and gadgets and that that you can take with you, and you're like, no, a bit like Tenchu, where you could pick what you wanted to have on you, and Aye. that was all you had for the level. But it really doesn't fucking make any difference whatsoever what you take with you. Because A, they're not very useful, um, and B, you have to do another complicated combo to, to to use them, which barely works half the time, in which you have to have one, one hand on the manual or times yeah. to use them, so you just end up not using them. I also like that Batman and Robin can both glide, but again, the nah, level I... design is not fucking conducive to a game where you That's... fucking glide about, you're I not flying from rooftop to rooftop, yeah, which could have been corridors, kind of cool, but... so I think like, exactly. there's literally no point of having to glide. Everything's narrow corridors, lights are off, Fucking fight grunt, fight grunt, fucking uh, boring. I suppose. Count your blessings, eh? Slight. But um, do you get to fight Jim Carrey in this game? Because that really, I'd like to look at Jim Carrey for a laugh. <laughs> I don't actually know. Obviously, this one, the baddies were um, Tommy Lee Jones's Two Face and Jim Carrey's The Riddler. See, that's one thing they got right, as I was saying, they might get on. Uh, they got the fucking Mortal Kombat uppercut right. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> it's always quite satisfying to land a, land a Mortal Kombat fucker. That's one thing that stood out to me. I like Andy's uh, Mortal Kombat announcer as John Barrowman impression there. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of I'm a mid Atlantic sort of twang to it. Um, <laughs> I actually I did watch the film uh, of this in preparation for the um, for playing it, and like, I, I actually quite enjoyed it. Batman Forever is a is a film. I was a bit too young for the Tim Burton ones. So people people reckon that they're a bit better. Um, and this one was kind of um, a sort of slightly inferior version of it. But I did you get think, a suck suck de Salil vibe off it? That's actually a good way of putting it, I because it's like that very kind of campy and over the top, like um, the yeah. the costumes and all that, and like. There's that one bit where Robin kind of next to Batmobile and he's fighting people and like the, they're meant to be like gangsters, but it, it's yeah, it's very Cirque du Soleil sort of gangsters with pure neon dreadlocks and they've got this kind of cy- cyber. <laughs> McCormick, who is that uh, right wing senator that was like, oh, this is my son Nestor? <laughs> Do you know who I'm talking about? People were accusing him of being anti immigrant. And he was like, ah, this is my son, the light of my life. And it was like a guy that looks like the same age as him. Oh, yeah, um, his adopted son. Aye. aye. That is a wee bit like Batman Forever with him adopting Robin. Because Robin is a man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Robin's a, Robin's a man. Robin's a man in his 20s. Um, and that's actually one, one thing, because, um, you know, the, the film takes all of its aesthetics and its, its tone for Tim Burton, but Joe Shoemaker as a, a gay man also brought an element of... Um, very homosexual undertones to the film. Rest in peace, by the way, he died recently. Oh, did he? Oh, that's a shame. Well, um, by the way, the politician in question was Congressman Matt Gates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look up, him, look up him and his, his son. Very, very questionable. I do have a slight bit of evidence for this, um, which I noticed. Um, Robbins wears, wears a single earring, um, and he wears it um, in the way that is a code... Is it on the gay side? Yeah, it does have it on the gay side. Do you know who else did that? I'd I'd never, I never noticed. Who's the the author of uh, Hellraiser? Not that. 
Clive Barker. Clive Hellraiser. Aye, he's got that, eh? <laughs> I noticed that. Yeah, yeah, he's got some very, um, very overt kind of um, themes uh, in his work. As, as I say, uh, Val Kilmer is the thinking man's Batman because he doesn't have as good a physique as the other Batman, so he has to use his brains and his detective skills a wee bit <laughs> and more. And his rubber. The other man's I didn't think he looked particularly out of shape in the film. I think he just he was struggling a bit with the costume. You can tell with some of the fight scenes that he can't, he's a bit stiff. He can't really move in this very tight costume. <laughs> Whose decision was it to make Robin cool? I don't know, man. I don't know what they were going for with that. But Robin, I, he's, a, he's, a, he's like a... Mid-90s kind of a cool guy. He does have a kind of mid-90s sort of radical vibe to him. And by the uh, way, um, as about as slow as a week in the jail, I've just been like, ah, oh, two of these games have got Robins in them. Only just a cup to me. Could we segue there? That's actually a, a quite a good segue to our second game of the day, isn't it? <laughs> uh, well, our second game of the day is in fact Dick Tracy, so no really. <laughs> um, Andy, I'll, I'll, I'll let you get your, your final thoughts. I'd imagine this is this is not a recommendation. Nah, man, nah. Um, if you really want to play something like this that kind of does it right, but, but still pure shite, but it's playable, play uh, the, the Mortal Kombat one. Because at least you get to play as Sub Zero, you know. Um, I you get to play as Batman this one, but you can't for these people. I would say um, play Comic Zone for the gameplay. The whole point of Comic Zone is that it looks like a comic in it. Oh yeah. So Comic Zone is probably the best example of what this could be. Aye, that's a good shout, man. Aye. They probably could have made it if they just you know stuck to making it a two D fighting game with Batman characters. It probably would be alright. Aye. Comic for- Zone's a good shout. I think it's a, I think it's a shite Comic Zone. Uh, go for Comic Zone. If you want a game, it looks it looks like a comic. It plays like a fighter, but with a bit more a bit more to it. Also, as an aside, frequent guest and friend of the podcast, uh, Aero, my wee brother, uh, actually completed fucking Comic Zone recently. He's the only oh, person yeah, I know that's uh, only person I know that's ever done that. That's no mean feat. A very difficult game, Comic Zone. Anyway, speaking of. Video games with punishing difficulty. Here's, here's your tenuous bridge. Uh, you could have just said games based off of films, based off of comics. The year is uh, 1990, um, and hitting the screens is a neo-noir thriller based on a 1930s comic strip of the same name, directed by Warren Beatty, starring Warren Beatty, with music by the great Danny Elfman. I'd imagine that's maybe one of the positives of the movie, um, that had its own uh, Sega Mega Drive adaptation. Uh, mm-hmm. At the time, there was... Dick Tracy just got sprayed out everywhere. It was on... It was a Game Boy game. There was an NES game. It was it was out and everything. But, uh, Andy, why don't you talk about why you picked this movie tie-in game for myself? Oh, we pile analogy comes out again. Um, at least in Greenock, anyway. It's Everybody had Dick Tracy in their pile. And this is one that you used to go to various houses, whether it was your uncles, your aunties, not my uncle, we only golf games by the way, but any other one, uh, <laughs> and they'd always have Dick Tracy in there. And it was one of them games that had an interesting um, wee feature in it, or a wee mechanic in it, where it kind of made use of parallax scrolling in order to have two planes for shooting, which was funny. Plus he had a big fucking class here, a looking jacket as well, which I liked, and a, a hat. <laughs> He's a dapper guy. Aye. To, to be honest, this game is it, it's fucking it's pretty fun actually. As you say, the the main thing about it is so you when you first start it, you might be tricked into thinking that it's a very basic 
side-scrolling kind of action game. One button shoots, one button jumps. The shoot button doubles as a punch if you're close to the guy. Um, you're walking along on this one plane, fighting gangsters. Well, it plays this kind of pure jazzy 1920s number. The music is very good. I'll get on to that later, probably. But you start to notice in the background fucking there's something moving about and then all of a sudden bang bang there's gangsters in the actual fucking background as well as the foreground and they're taking pot shots at you as well you press your c button all of a sudden fucking dick tracy turns run starts fucking firing his tommy gun <laughs> into the background and you've got this fucking cursor on the screen that you move about and fucking take out baddies in the background way which is just fucking it's really, really fucking solid arcade fun. You're walking along, you need to be quick at moving between bang, shooting a guy in front of you, bang, turning around with a Tommy gun. Just fucking pure, chaotic, good old-fashioned fun. And that was the part that kind of stood out to me as well. Like, just, it, it seems that you've, you've just got to be pretty quick on the draw with these with these guys. Like, it seems quite quick, a sort of tense shootout sort of vibe it's going for. Ah, exactly. Um, you don't particularly need to have that good aim either. Like, when you press the C button and it turns around with the Tommy gun, it, it usually just kind of goes to the general direction where the guy is anyway. Um, so it's all about just kind of being quick with your button inputs, you know what I mean? It gives you a real kind of gunslinger feeling. That's pretty cool. So this is a, this is a 16-bit version of this game, and there was a, quite a famous 8-bit version for the Nintendo game, at least in America anyway. It's notorious for its difficulty. For what I've read, anyway, this game isn't as difficult as it. But uh, I don't, I don't know if it, I don't know if it um, just tries to be innovative with the the sort of two plane idea when it comes to shooting and stuff. That's the thing it's, that really jumped out at me when I was playing it. Anyway, it's hard. Don't get me wrong. Uh, as um, our uh, next guest pointed out on the chat, it can be infuriating just because it's fucking. It's really, really difficult. As I'm talking about this kind of, it's chaotic and it's fun and you've got to switch between these two planes and stuff like that. You know, a game is fucking throwing everything at you. And that's by the time you're on fucking level two, do you know what I mean? Level three. <laughs> so it has got that thing where, uh, to go back to Andy's terminology of the small pile, um, <laughs> you know, you could have had this game for two years and maybe only seen the first four levels or something like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> a, a biggest failing of this game for me it's a creative decision they took I guess is that every so often you get the there's no cutscenes as such but in between levels you'll get this kind of comic panel and there'll be speech bubbles and it'll kind of set you up for what's happening next but every so often you get one and it'll be Dick Tracy with a speech bubble that you will grow to dread where he says I'm out of ammo and then you just get <laughs> It's just a side-scrolling level where all you can do is punch um, and there's no guys running about in the background. And it is fucking boring um, <laughs> and <laughs> really pish. So is it a bit like Robocop versus Terminator? The way it plays, like a kind of side-scrolling shooting thing? I don't know. I'm not familiar with that one. Uh, uh, For what I've seen, it's kind of like Shinobi then. Shinobi-ish. What, the, the punch levels? Oh no, just the thing, mate, the, the, the game in general. It gives you a kind of era of shinobi The game in general is fucking... <laughs> Do you know what? Do you know what a game in general is? Yeah. It's a mixture of fucking Terminator, the old fucking sixteen bit game. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and fucking T two arcade. In the foreground, you're playing Terminator, and in the background, you're playing I'm fucking T two arcade. Yeah, you, you, man. That's a good game, that man. I never had a light gun for it, but it was still a lot of fun. And T2 Arcade is one we need to explore on this podcast at one point because it pushed the Mega Drive to its limits, that game. I feel like this game, and maybe, like, 
it was a kind of failing of Batman and a lot of these kind of movie tie-ins is that when you're watching a film, there's a variety of different action scenes, right? There might be a fist fight, there might be a gun fight, there might be driving, um, there might be just uh, some some other um, kind of unique scenes. And I think like, when they were making video game tie-ins, they tried to have it all. They tried mm-hmm. to have, you know, multiple different play modes and that. Like, I know this game's got driving levels that are a bit shite as well, like... See, I, I never even made it to one of them. Yeah, it seems like they've right. um, they keep trying to bite off a bit more than they can chew. Instead, they're just focusing on one element and making it good. What I like doing is shooting the windies because it's got a funny wee bit where you can shoot windies in us and they smash. Aye, that's um, <laughs> see, I, I, for me, that was very satisfying. That, is that is, I, I don't know much about Dick Tracy. Is he meant to be a polis or is he a private I, eye? I don't know. Oh, I know Madonna's in it. <laughs> I Warren Beatty. Um, yeah, he's a um, he's a polis. Right, so you're, you're a polis, and I literally went out and did far more damage than any of the fucking gangsters in the game. Every time there was a motor in the background, brrr, shot it up to fuck, smashed everybody's windies and that with my Tommy gun. I went on a fucking pure sp- <laughs> spree across the city. What a collateral damage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the comic strip, um, it was kind of written in the 30s, and it was kind of known for its, like, um, its violence. Like, at the time, that was quite... Quite an unknown thing. There was like a lot of there was a lot of kind of dark themes and like a lot of Aye. pure over the top violence in the comics. You know, it was set in this kind of grey world. No um, well, it's, it's where all that fucking. Do you know when you see uh, cartoons and that, and the the gangster characters like you're going to get a belly full of lips? <laughs> eh? <laughs> they, they all kind of talk like that. I think. Aye. Aye. A bit like Aye. Max Payne. Oh, you got same sort of like an idea, isn't it? Aye. Well, it's, it's noir, I guess. It was, you know, those were the popular films what, of the what, 20s and 30s, and this was kind of trying to kind make of that comic form. Offbeat, dark, kind of gangster comics. Either kind of gang, gangster themes, he was going to get up against kind of um, local criminals, but yeah, it was, there were some quite kind of dark storylines in that in them, um, apparently, but um, also some stuff that maybe doesn't. Hey, hold up too well. I don't know if you've if, if you've seen have you seen the film? Um, I I try to watch it, man. But you're right, mate. You're right. It doesn't hold up. It's not. Um, Does it not hold up because it's <laughs> is it is it problematic? Well, it like, the film. I, I, I gotta go talk to Jimmy the Mexican. See, the hey. film, right. <laughs> I'll talk about the film later because the film isn't problematic. I don't in, in, in any way that I noticed. Feel free to correct me, but one thing if you if you've well, seen the actually. film, well, <laughs> actually, one thing if you've seen the film, um, like that, the, there's a lot of characters with like prosthetics to make them look kind of like quite grotesque. The bad. That's right. Aye, Al Pacino in it. Aye, look at the little Al Pacino wearing all this mad like stuff on his face to make him look like, um, kind of ridiculous and, and horrible, and that's what some of the characters in the, the comic strip looked I like. I think the characters all had names like Big Nose, and there was a guy called No Face. He is one of the a few comic characters I remember for Dick Tracy. He literally Itchy. doesn't have a face, eh? Itchy's a first level boss. Aye, but if you can imagine, you know, how he draws the faces of these. Um, these gangsters and these baddies. You can also maybe imagine how he might have drawn uh, Chinese or Jewish or black <laughs> characters. Okay. Um, right. Sad, I mean, that definitely doesn't hold up very well. There was also a bit of a theme, apparently, in some of the early comics. It was like he would um, he, he would put the baddies away and then like 
they would go to trial and it would be like, oh, there's not enough evidence to convict them. And the author would insert some paragraph saying, like, oh, it seems like the justice system cares more about the rights of criminals than it does. For <laughs> <laughs> or, like, there was a bit of a uh, kind of fascistic <laughs> streak to some of the stuff he wrote. See, that, that sounds amazing. It's like a, it's as if a comic book was written by fucking Rorschach for Watchmen or something. <laughs> <laughs> I know, or well, Frank Miller being the modern, modern equivalent. Um, and the, uh, and uh, but that was that was kind of in the golden age in the in the nineteen thirties. Um, apparently, also like in the fifties and sixties during the kind of uh, atomic age, they sort of changed tack and they wanted to make the comic more relevant. And Dick Tracy goes to the moon and marries a bird for the moon, and then he starts like. Um, Using uh, using all these kind of Inspector Gadget style like sci-fi gadgetry and ray guns and stuff like that. <laughs> then like, yeah, yeah, actually, it does have something of a link to Batman, um, Batman, Dick Tracy, and the Green Hornet, I believe. I think these comic strips were all out run about the same time. Um, and they have some similarities like Dick Tracy and the Green Hornet was all about these kind of machine guns uh, cars with machine guns mounted on them and shit like that <laughs> bang 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 um, Batman was a detective you know in the, the, the very first comics of, of his that were out um, uh, they're not called detective stories or something like that like, yeah was, they were detective a, comics I think he was more of a detective than a superhero again which is why Val Kilmer uh, ladies and gents is the greatest Batman of all time um, <laughs> And one thing, to, to kind of bring it back to the, the game, like, I think it was missing some of the kind of stylized stuff that you've seen for the comic and the film, like the, the kind of big mad faces and kind of, it's still with the bright colours, but I don't think the, the sprites and that really gave much, they just kind of look better like a generic action game, really. The thing about this game for me is, as I say, the, the tunes are fucking cool. It plays these kind of upbeat 1920s style kind of finger-clicking songs. They've all got a bit um, of swing to them, don't they? They've got a bit of swing. Um, everybody's wearing their fucking fedoras and their long trench coats. Like The graphics and the music are fine. They work. But having said that, the gameplay mechanic is not fun because it is particularly related to Dick Tracy. This could have been a Rambo game that was really Aye. fun, or a Robocop <laughs> game that was really fun, or insert movie media character here with a big gun. <laughs> um, it, it could have been anybody. The, ga- the game is not good because it's Dick Tracy. It's it's a game that happens to be about Dick Tracy that has this fucking really quite fun wee mechanic in there. Aye. Mm. I suppose that's probably key when you're designing a game, though, is you know, get the basics right. And, you know, make it, make it tie in with the film. I forgot about Dick Tracy, man. Who else is lost to history like Dick Tracy? Motherfucker, motherfuckers act like they forgot about Dick Tracy. What yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, would you call him? Fucking the Phantom, that's one. He fucking disappeared into nothing. Who would have thought a Phantom would be so mysterious? Aye, I think that the comic books now are a bit dominated by the old you know, DC Marvel, your superheroes. There might not be such a... A place for the um, those other kind of characters that came here's, in comics. Good one, here's, cool. one, here's one for you, Andy. And I don't think he was a comic book. I think he was maybe only a movie. Uh, Darkman. Oh, Darkman, aye, aye. That was pretty good, that one. He was sort of an injured was guy, a, wasn't he? That saved was the a, world. He was a scientist that got done in in this mad freaky acid attack. Aye. It meant that if he tried, he reconstructed his skin but it was made of this kind of synthetic material, which if he went out during the day, it fucking physically harmed him. So mm-hmm. he only went out at night, 
and he was like kind of all covered up he wore a big jacket and a big hat as well and he just went on a kind of fucking revenge rampage against these gangsters didn't have any superpowers he was just a scientist that couldn't leave his house during the day one of the better ones <laughs> one of the better ones that one the crow um, the crow obviously has got the caveat on it they, um, that it's a bit sad because the poor guy lost his life during the shooting Shooting in both senses, and I'm I'm, I'm going to I'm going to apologise here because I've just realised that I, I'm doing this. Um, I, I didn't take any notes for this episode, which is why uh, this is maybe seeming a wee bit directionless, and I'm just kind of pulling on <laughs> threads. But I'm going to I'm going to follow up with this anyway. Do you happen to know if they made a video game of the crow at all? They did for the Sega Saturn, I. But it was <laughs> for the it was for the sequel. Um, there was a sequel to Crow called City of Angels. Um, I'm not too sure who played them, man. To be honest, but. Uh, aye, aye, there was a crow game, but it wasn't for the original game, it was for the, the sequel follow-up. Interesting, well, R.I.P. Brandon Lee. Um, and it was really shite. The Angry Video Game Nerd featured it, uh, <laughs> and it's really fucking bad, man. But aye, R.I.P. Bruce Lee's boy. Maybe that's something that's a wee bit missing for comic book films these days. I think with both Batman Forever and Dick Tracy, the films kind of had a distinctive look about them. They were trying to look clip um, comic panels, you know, like... The kind of bright colours, the backgrounds, and the kind of stylistic stuff, which was pretty cool, but you're not going to get that for the Avengers, I don't think. No. I think so, I, it's been no coincidence that we've chosen a lot of, kind of superhero games for that year. I fucking... Right, I, I, I don't like uh, these Marvel films, right? They're I fucking, like the Joker, that was a good one. Anyway, I, I, I didn't mind Joker, but all, all these Avengers movies, fucking Iron Man 1, 2, and fucking 3 and 4, and fucking blah, 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 and Thor, and all this, I don't get it, right? It's, I, 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 I can't, for I can't engage... I can't engage with people. It's no for Wayne's though, that's the problem. But no. It's been it's been made for people our age, and Wayne's happen to like it, rather <laughs> than the other way around. Even though... They're kind of fucking no very good films. I would rather watch Dick Tracy for 1990, or Shame. I would even rather watch fucking Batman Forever for fucking 1995 than have to sit through fucking Marvel Civil War or fucking Avengers Endgame or something like that. Right. There's more in those movies that I would like. Totally agree. It's the same with me. I've always wanted to watch a full-length feature with a guy for Tales of Crypt. I've, I've always thought that. I've <laughs> never got to have it. I do love the Crypt Keeper. Is that a Kickstarter <laughs> for that? Get the license, get the license in that. Original makeup, no fucking CGI, man. <laughs> you could have uh, Prince Philip just play him because he wouldn't need any makeup. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, man. But my final thoughts on this are I mean, it's a, a soft recommendation. I wouldn't say get yourself Dick Tracy download and try and fucking get yourself a headache by completing it. Because you'll know, or, or you'll know without great fucking difficulty. It's very hard. But, um, so you play through the first couple of levels and have a wee shot of that fucking video game mechanic with the, the shooting things in the background, especially if you've got a real pad. Uh, don't don't bother trying to do it with your keyboard and shit like that. It'll not be as good. Sit down with a pad and fucking give the first couple of levels a fucking blast because it's pretty good fun, man. It, it, I, I've got to admit, I... I thought I would be writing this one off, but um, I, I, I can't lie, man, it's fun. <laughs> That's good. I'm glad you enjoyed, my man. So, if you'd like to segue us into um, medieval times um, and the depths of Sherwood Forest. Aye, uh, so what, what inspired you game is um, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm going to do, do the thing first, isn't I? The year is 1991. 
Brian Adams, Everything I Do, I Do It For You, <laughs> has been top of the charts in pe- perpetuality for 40 years. <laughs> um, and the man in the music video is none other than Kevin Costner, no even trying to do an English accent, as the most popular English folk hero of all time, Robin Hood. As a spin-off of this uh, very successful um, fucking big-budget box office high-earning movie, there were a few video game adaptations, I believe. The one we are looking at came out on the NES and the Game Boy. Uh, the Game Boy one was in my possession as I was a, when I was a wee guy, and it might even have been the first time I played anything that could even be loosely called a role-playing game. So actually, I've got quite a lot of affection for this game, and I think it's maybe better than these kind of games would usually be, um, and I would give the people who made it a wee bit of credit. Um, so it's the type of thing I would, I would just be interested to hear on um, McCormick's opinion of and, and how he got on with it. <laughs> he just reminded me of like when I was playing this game um, one Friday night, I had quite a few drinks and I was posting quite a lot of Brian Adams lyrics in the chat when I was discussing <laughs> some of the, the plot Is that points. What I, was, I was worried about you. <laughs> I, so, this game threw me a bit of a, a curveball because I don't think the first thing you expect when you play a 90s movie tie in is a role playing game. Um, I was not expecting that at all, to be honest. Um, it was very a very kind of light role playing game, but you definitely would describe it as such. You you get you get kind of stats and stuff like that. Um, but I, I was I was quite pleasantly surprised with this one. Um, I was expecting you know a generic kind of beat 'em up, maybe like the the other two games we're talking about. But it's um it's quite kind of ambitious in in a way. You've because you've got your kind of your standard overworld um sort of bits where you're exploring and you're um. You know, um, opening doors, exploring overworlds and stuff like that, getting into a bit of fighting, maybe a wee bit like Zelda. And but you've also got like quite a lot of different play styles. You go into these. Uh... It sort of turns into a fighting game where you've got two big sprites and you get this 1v1 sword fight where you both get these kind of HP bars. Andy would probably like their bits. Aye, some of the fights are uh, one and one um, sort of 2D um, sort of um, fencing sort of minigame. Like Axe um, Battler, sort of. With aye, yes, into exactly. Like, Very much like a fighting game. Other ones you're fighting on the overworld, a bit like a, a Zelda game. And there's also, like, for bigger fights, there's these kind of pitch battles. And that's when your your party members come into play, um, and they've you can kind of switch between your different party members, and it's yeah you're still just kind of hacking and slashing, but there's a wee bit of strategy involved because your, your characters can be equipped with different um, different weapons and stuff like that. I, I was quite impressed with the kind of the scope of this game. Um, I guess the story I, I've not actually seen the film of the three games. I, I didn't actually uh, watch the film with this one because I felt like I got all I needed to get from it's, from the this, game. It's, it's probably got the funniest film of the three as well. Like it's, ah. it's a really, really entertaining bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> I because starts off your um, uh, everyone who's been fighting in the Crusades. Um, <laughs> yeah, Level one of this game, and, and this is this is maybe as we veer towards the most problematic content in any of our games today. First level is Jerusalem, uh, mm. and Robin Hood has to escape from some Muslims that have taken him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, aye, he's in like in a prison somewhere out in the desert. Yeah, you've got to kind of break out. Um, you meet, um, I forgot his name, but Morgan Freeman's character. Azim. You meet he's Azim. a moor. Yeah, he's, he's your first um, your party member, and you 
kind of escape with him and also a bit of a weird missed opportunity because this game definitely had the film tie-in license but the character portraits don't look like the actors at all I don't think they maybe had like the image rights to use like Kevin Costner's face so you just get kind of generic looking dudes well, see, I think I think they had some of them, but like they seem to get them fucking mixed up because the main body, obviously, anybody who knows the fucking Robin Hood, it's the the sheriff of Nottingham, right? Aye. Who was uh, Alan Rickman, one of the fucking Alan Rickman and Morgan Freeman kind of save this film, right? They're <laughs> they're, they're really really they're fucking. They're, they're quite good in it, but I think in the game they use an a digitized Alan Rickman portrait for a minor villain called Guy of Gisborne, <laughs> um, whereas a sheriff they use a different guy. I think I think they might have got the guy who played Guy of Gisborne and fucking the sheriff of Nottingham mixed up somehow. He does look a lot male. <laughs> you mention it, um, I so like um I don't know how much of this plot is like you know matches up with the. The film, but um, he, he kind of leaves there. He goes back, goes back to England. Um, Robin Hood's like a kind of a nobleman, maybe like a minor noble. Um, and while Richard has been out fighting the Crusades, um, the sheriff of Nottingham has been kind of in charge in his stead. He's a bit of a, a baddie, um, and he's like killed Robin Hood's dad, um, taking over his castle, and Robin Hood becomes an outlaw. Um, and then him and his band of merry men are sort of waging a campaign of guerrilla warfare to get rid of the sheriff of Nottingham and bring Richard Interestingly, um, this plot point of this movie very much goes for about Robin Hood being a displaced member of the nobility and the monarchy not being wrong. It just, like, it's just, it's, it's not that the feudalism is bad, you see. It's just that the sheriff is a tyrant. <laughs> um, if, if, if they get good old King Richard back, everything's going to be fucking right as rain. That is not in the fucking earliest versions of the Robin Hood myth. And in the, in, the, in the earliest versions, do you know how under fucking feudalism there were about fucking 50,000 different social classes? <laughs> Robin Hood was a working class social class called a yeoman. Which I, don't, I don't know if that's some kind of weaver or something like that. A yeoman is um, so he would like he would have had a farm. He would have unlike a kind of peasant. Peasants would have um, they would have worked on farms that were owned by the um, some sort of noble, like a knight or a lord or something, and sort of um, paid them rent um, in in their produce. A yeoman would have owned his own farm, but he would have been a small farm, and he wouldn't have had much a title. Robin Hood was a crofter, pretty much. Pretty much, aye. Much. Um, but aye, that, that's kind of rubbed me up the wrong way. I, I, I was going to talk about this at the end, but I'll maybe skip ahead now. It's like, the original thing that I remember for Robin Hood, even for, even the Disney cartoon, is more about this than this film, is the, the fact that he's, he's a man of the people, you know, fighting against injustice, he robbed for the rich, and he gave to the poor, that is, lit- that is that is the byline for fucking Robin Hood, isn't it? Who does it come from? There's Who a did song about it. Aye. <laughs> but in this, they've kind of corrupted that and maybe made it a bit more, a bit more palatable um, to the political situation at the time where it would have been like, oh, Robin Hood, he's, he's special because he's, a, um, he's noble. And... The problem isn't the fact that we have kings and we're being exploited by um, by a, a king and a, a class structure that's impoverishing people. It's the fact that oh, the good kings away and the bad kings in charge. So all we need to do is get rid of the get rid of the bad king. You know, whatever, and we're back to normal. Aye. Do you use like the Disney version? I do. I do quite like the Disney version. I don't like remember it all version. that well, but I remember enjoying it a lot as a kid. I'm gonna fucking hipster these up 
I'm sorry to say. My favourite version of Robin Hood is a movie that was made in the 70s called uh, Robin and Marion, where Sean Connery plays an elderly Robin Hood who <laughs> has been out fighting in the Crusades. And King Richard in that one is kind of a bastard. Uh, and Robin Hood and Little John fucking... It's really kind of weird and melancholic. Like, it goes back to England and Maid Marian has moved on and became a nun and stuff. And she's like an old woman. And she, she doesn't want to be with him. And <laughs> it's, it's, aye, it's a strange one. But you, you it said probably it was kind gets... of the, the Metal Gear Solid 4 of the Robin Hood kind of... <laughs> <laughs> Yes, very much so. I, 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 you get the old snake version of Robin Hood. Aye. Does does it have a chicken point of view, no, so the Disney version is better, obviously. <laughs> Robin Hood, Little John, walking through the forest. Aye, <laughs> right. that's all I remember for it, man. Aye, so, I've got back to the, this game. Um, what I enjoyed about it, um, I liked it. It, it, was kind of, it was kind of like a light um, RPG, maybe more like a kind of Western one um, than a, a Japanese one. So you've got all that, that kind of stuff that's um, is always pretty enjoyable where you're kind of getting new new weapons and levelling up. The menu system looks like something for fucking, like, Wizardry or Ultima or something like that. There's, like, look, talk to, fucking blah. And like that, that, when you go onto the actual equipment screen, it's like a cursor, and you move things about as if it's a PC game. You, like, equip leather armour and equip broadsword and shit like that. Like, I, like, because I was, would have been more used at the time of your kind of Japanese RPGs that streamlined a lot of that stuff, where you maybe just like one button to talk and one button to swing your sword. And this one, you're kind of going through uh, menus and stuff like that. So it's maybe, maybe a bit unnecessary. Like, maybe, you know, maybe could have designed this kind of a nicer user interface. But I just say it's, it's because it's kind of trying to be like a an Ultima or something like that. You've got that, and that's that's always, you know, pretty... Um, pretty compelling, sort of grinding up and stuff like that. Um, even if it's quite simple, um, but I, the, the mini games in that get a bit of variety. The fencing one was my favourite, I think. Like the fencing one's awesome. But as as I was um, being a slightly flippant, calling it the Final Fantasy VII of its day, <laughs> I was like, there's, there's all kinds of different shit in it. When there's a bit where you're fucking. Um, being chased by the sheriff's men on horseback and stuff like that. It's fucking... They, they did try when they were making this game. There's fucking... There's horrors of shit in it. Aye, and they, they pull it off like, quite well because all the games... I guess partially because it's, it's on the Game Boy and there's not very much buttons, but all the games like are very simple, um, but they're, they're pretty good. Like the fencing game, you're only really moving left and right and, and stabbing, but it's quite tense. Like, you know, it's... Um, Kind of dodging and making sure you, your your health bar doesn't grow and like that's 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 pretty fun and like the two D fighting stuff, just like your kind of um, classic sort of Zelda things. All that's that's usually pretty enjoyable as well. This game does commit one fucking cardinal sin for something that is a kind of pseudo RPG of the era. Uh, Andy, care to I guess? Um, bah, 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 what is one thing you would say would be crucial to a fucking RPG or an adventure game? There is no save and there is no password function. You want to beat you want to beat a Prince of Thieves, you are gonna need to fucking rinse it in one sitting. See, I didn't actually notice this um because I I did it in one sitting anyway. Weirdly I did manage to finish it in in one sitting, which like you know, if you're playing an action game for the nineties it's going to be difficult and it's going to be short. If you're playing an RPG for the 90s, it's going to be comparatively easy, but it's going to be long. This game is both easy and short. <laughs> and so you can 
you can complete it within probably take me a couple hours, but I had a, a few breaks. That that's it's bizarre that it doesn't have a, a save system. Like, is it that short because they they didn't want to put in a save system, or did they just neglect to put one in? They could have, I mean, they could have artificially increased the length of this by right. having more, you know, fucking long winding car- corridors where you just bash enemies, but it's quite streamlined. I, yeah. I think that's maybe another thing I, I kind of like about it. Aye, yeah, because, as you see, these things you like about an RPG, but it's not got the, the kind of punishing length, and I'd say that the length of some of these kind of games back in the day would have been quite artificial, it would have been just non-nonsensical side quests and, um, you know, grinding and stuff like that. You don't really need to grind in this at all, really. There is a, there is a bit where... What happens is you get back to England and then you you, you meet a merry men and you meet a camp and then you go and you kind of do wee missions for them. Aye. Like um, a corrupt lord is trying to force a peasant lassie to marry him against his will. Or there's a wild boar on rampage. For one of them, this guy comes up and just says, the Celts are attacking. The sheriff, <laughs> the sheriff has hired a lot of nasty warriors for Scotland and you just have to go and kill them. That was another part of the characterization of Robin Hood that I didn't quite like in this because not only is like he's um, he's got a few bob but he doesn't particularly care for the poor. He also hates Scottish people. You can imagine he's one of these guys that if he was on Twitter he'd have a Union Jack and he's he's um, well, he's a see playing the game you might think that. But in the film, it's just so fucking bizarre because he's like, I am Robin of Laxley. I am a proud English man. He <laughs> does not try to do the accent at all. Whereas other characters are going, Oh, hello, Robin. Welcome back to Britain. R.I.P. <laughs> Terry Jones. He's, he's Terry Jones again, I know. He is the only character with an American accent. It's Amazing. so fucking weird. Oh, I, I guess Azim has one as well. Man, there is a, a fucking bit where... Robin Hood and Azim are fighting a group of bandits and Azim goes I'm sorry Robin, you'll have to take care of this on your own and then suddenly takes out a prayer mat and faces Mecca and starts doing a prayer because even if his life's at risk he's got to do his prayers <laughs> So what was there, was, there, was there that people was far away as the Middle East in Britain in medieval times? But I mean, the, the Crusades, the Crusades were a thing. Oh, the, aye, aye, fuck, aye, aye, sorry. sorry. Aye, was it, it's a bit of a misnomer, I think, that, um, you know, Britain was an entirely monocultural place back in the day. Yeah. I mean, you still had um, immigrants, you still had people from quite far-flung corners of the world. You'd, right. It wouldn't be that uncommon for somebody um, living in London or something to see, like, maybe, you know, people from um, North Africa or the Middle East, something like that. Or is it a fucking a plot point that, the witch, who I think is called Mortiana. Aye. Uh, the Sheriff of Nottingham isn't actually the fucking Sheriff of Nottingham. He's a fucking evil son of like a witch who killed the real Sheriff of Nottingham ah. and has been masquerading as him. But in the movie, she keeps having prophetic dreams where uh, she gets killed by a black guy. So she is scared of black people and then Morgan <laughs> Freeman kills her in the end. Good. <laughs> so... Oh. So this this game, like as as kind of RPGs are are want to do, is maybe is in as a, a couple of wee fantasy elements. Like I don't think in the film there was druids that could summon um, magical skeletons to fight. Does that does that appear in the film at all? Um, there is no. Uh, skeleton in the film. That's that's pish. <laughs> yeah. Golden axe spot has got hunters in him, and that's <laughs> no fucking hero. <laughs> I mean, as I say, the the movie is bad, but it's very entertaining and enjoyable. But could they use the skeleton? 
It reduces a, a bit of a game-breaking element. There is a few bits in this game where you basically can't proceed any further. One of them, which caught me out, was that um, Marion gives you what do you call it? Um, what, a, uh, what do you call it? You put it on a horse. You sit in a piece. A saddle. A saddle. Yes, a saddle. Um, to make an escape uh, when you're getting chased by like the sheriff and all he comes in. Um, I didn't see it. At the start, where she put it down, um, because she, also in her room there's a loaf of bread, so I picked up this loaf of bread thinking it was um, a saddle. <laughs> I left the room, I was like, why can I not use this on a horse? Because obviously it's a fucking loaf of bread. <laughs> and See, I went a, back. You, you, need to, you need to drag it over to the eye icon, and then that tells you what it is. Aye. So I went back, um, and the saddle was gone, and there was no other way for me to get that saddle. Um, so that was me having to, to, to kind of die and restart. And yeah, with the skeleton as well, you find a kind of magical dagger that can um, des- destroy the skeleton that you fight later in the game. But because it's like an equipment system, you can equip different characters with uh, weapons. I gave this dagger to somebody else as a weapon, and then at that point in the game, that character leaves your party and never comes back, and you don't get any of the items. Oh, crunch. it's fucking... Yeah. It's, it's fucking Blind Peter. It is, aye. aye. I gave Blind Peter the dagger. I don't know what I was thinking doing that. I wouldn't be able to make much use of it. Um, but aye, he, he fucked off um, for the, the rest of the game. So yeah, I, I found out about that for game FAQs. That would fuck you over. So if you start that bit like, over again. So aye, it, is, it is a bit kind of rough around the edges. But yes, yeah, I, did, I did quite enjoy it. In terms of kind of Game Boy RPGs, I'd probably recommend something like the second Densetsu games maybe over this if you want a kind of very light RPG that was maybe more in the kind of Japanese vein I found that maybe was made a bit more better use of the, the Game Boy and its limitations and stuff like that but this one I mean I was, I was pleasantly surprised about it I enjoyed it Ah, good stuff, man. And Robin Hood should uh, be back to his uh, working class hero roots, uh, I think, um, is, a, is a good point to end on. Aye, yeah, because you know, you've got um, you know, the elections coming up across the pond in America and you're being told to choose between um, one mad tyrant king and another uh, mad king, and that's your only options. Um, but, you know, there's other options out there. You're just willing to, willing to grasp them. Sometimes you just need a big virus to make you realise that. Or a charismatic cartoon fox. I will. And I think we can agree that uh, regardless of uh, who the next president of America is, their crusades in the Middle East will continue. Uh, much <laughs> like Robin Hood at the start of this game. <laughs> Unfortunately. Aye. Well, that seems to be the way of it. Right, well... I'll announce our uh, very special guest for next time. Uh, it is Greenox Owen, your friend and mine, Mr. Johnny Branchfield, will be joining us on the and the the Neditorium. I, I don't know the the Neddy Couch. What we, we don't have a fucking <laughs> we don't we don't have an HQ troops. It's still it's loosely we're still in lockdown. The Ned Cave. The Ned Cave. Yeah. Johnny will be joining us in the Ned Cave. Uh, so all you Lordheads out there, keep your eye out for that one. We've also got something else coming up. Um, so up on the back of our uh, Sonic Fan Games chat and our interview with Perfect Zero, we are going to be making an appearance at Sage, the Sonic Amateur Games Expo. We're going to be doing a stream uh, on our YouTube where we're going to be discussing some Sonic Fan Games for the past and playing um, something we've alluded to. Um, a creation of um, of myself um, back when I was um, a young teenager. A whippersnapper. Aye, so that's on um, Thursday 10th of September um, and check out Sage Expo. You'll see us um, on one of their 
our live streams. Um, so I more details about that one to come. Other than that, there'll maybe be a filler or something, but in a fortnight's time, we will have a regular Neddy for you, and that is going to have... Uh, well, Andy, why don't Aye. you why don't you make us official and fucking <laughs> tell me what Todd I'm playing? I know you love FMV games so much, man. Especially ones with limited options. Um, I'm going to give you the stellar classic, the submarine fighting superstar that is Silent Steel for the DVD player. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, Johnny has uh, deigned to give Mr. McCormick a McDonald's tie-in game for the Sega Mega Drive called uh, Mick and Mac uh, Global Gladiators. I kind of wait to play a bit of um, game fast fast food chain propaganda. Um, I am going to begin Andy a game. It's a subject that's, that's close to all of our hearts. Uh, beasts. So you're going to be playing <laughs> Shadow of the Beast for orig- originally the Amiga, but we all know that you're going to play the Sega Mega Drive version anyway. So you're playing the Sega Drive Mega Drive version of Shadow of the Beast. And for Johnny, we have. And it is, here's to make you feel old. What I'm about to say technically is a retro game now. Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic is going to be the, I guess, a a kind of big game for next time. So Johnny is going to be working his way through that one and he's going to be coming on to tell us how he got on with that. Nice. Classic. An old Bioware classic, isn't it? Well, it's an absolute classic. Well, I mean, we've, I think all three years have got some. Andy, I don't know if you ever finished it, but you got right into it. I didn't get too far into it, man. Uh, But what I've seen. Aye, aye, it was. I'll be, I'll, I'll be replaying it myself over the next two weeks because. Seventeen uh, go fucking hell. Right. <laughs> um, yep. Well, we shagged the concept of linear time. <laughs> yes. Yes, we did. Peace. See you next time.